You're listening to the New Life Church Podcast, where we are passionate about helping you connect to your God-given purpose. To learn more about New Life Church, including our service times in Canton, Georgia, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. So we are now in part seven of our series, Through the Eyes of John, and this is going to be our final week of the series. I had planned on doing one more week, but something came up, a great opportunity that I wanted us to, after praying about it and thinking about it, I really wanted us to jump on it for next Sunday. As many of you know, when the war broke out in the Ukraine, I was in Germany at the time teaching at the European Theological Seminary, and uh, I was made aware by our denomination, the Church of God, that we had several orphanages in harm's way in the Ukraine. And they were going to be, they wanted to immediately get the funds to them and, and, and of course, prayer support so that we could get those kids out of harm's way. And what I did, I sent word back to Pastor JB, who was preaching that day, and I said, listen, we need to take up an offering right now. We can't wait. We can't really pray about it. We got to do it now. And you guys stepped up to the plate. And the very next day, we sent over $10,000 to go towards that relief effort of getting those kids out. Yes. Unbelievable. So when I got back, I showed you the pictures of some of those orphans and all of that. And some of them were delivered to the very school that I was teaching in at the time in Germany. Well, in total, and I didn't know this until recently, over 350 children were saved. 350 children. One of those, and I didn't know this either, one of those orphanages was completely demolished. It was in one of the major cities on the eastern side and completely not one brick left on the other. And had they been there, they would have all been certainly killed. Now, the American missionary that made all that happen, that went behind enemy lines, that, made, that, that arranged all of the bus, buses and all of the things to get those kids out, is going to be with us next Sunday morning right here. Yes, amen. His name is Coleman Bailey. He's 29 years old. And he is a young man after God's heart. I mean, I've been spent a little time with him this past week and been on the phone with him. And he is just an impressive young Christian man who is sold out to the kingdom of God. And he has been going behind enemy lines. He has been risking his life. He also works with orphanages and, and established orphanages in DR Congo in Africa, another very dangerous place where kids are orphaned all the time. And next Sunday, he's going to be here. I'm going to be interviewing him. And he wants you to know from a Christian perspective, what's really happening without the media spin. Come on. Uh, He really wants you to know. And I'm going to challenge you once again, because he works for this. He works in the denomination, but he also works for uh, uh, an organization that sets these orphanages up and takes care of the children. And we are going to give to that because that is fertile ground in the kingdom of God. So next week, come ready to give above and beyond towards this ministry. You don't want to miss this. You do not want to miss next Sunday morning. If you're going to be on vacation, get your phones, your tablets, whatever, and make sure you're watching online. Y'all ready for that? It's going to be an awesome, awesome day. So This is it. This is the last one. I had expected to preach one more. And so I wrestled kind of with what the last sermon was going to be because there's so many more things in John that we could cover. I thought about the foot washing and so how powerful 
that was in, in the Last Supper. I thought about John 15. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's so, I'm passionate about that. And John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus where he, he prays for the unity of his body so that the world will know that he is Lord. My goodness, if you had to press me for my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, John 17 would be at the top. I think it's absolutely vital that we are united as the body of Christ. Forget Baptist, you know, all this stuff, uh, denominational stuff, Church of God, Pentecostal. We've got to come together as the body of Christ in this final day because that's the only way people are going to come to Jesus. I'm telling you, that's the only way. Unity in the body is, is what opens the door to evangelism. It shows the world that we are who we say we are. But I'm not preaching that. <laughs> I just did a little bit. I landed after prayer on Peter's failure. It's nice, isn't it? Peter's failure where he denied three times that he even knew the Lord. I mean, this is a man that walked with him and did all the stuff and, and was with him for three years and he denied even knowing him. But we're not gonna end there that would be really depressing. We're going to end with how he was recommissioned, restored. That's what this message is about. Restoration, restoration. And this is a message we all need to hear. Whether you're a little kid in this room or a senior adult or somewhere in between. Why? Because we've all failed. And I don't want to speak doom over you or, or, or fail, but we're all going to fail again. We all need to understand the process, say process, the process of restoration. And we get it so clearly in this passage. So let's pray and then we'll jump into the word. Father, we just sense your presence. We've, oh, I've, I've sensed it all morning long, starting when I got up and began to pray and review these notes. And Lord, as the worship ensued, God, we just sense your presence. And it is your presence that makes the difference. It's not the talent on the stage. It's not the sound system. It's not the air conditioning. It's not, it's not my ability to communicate, God. It is your presence that makes the difference. It is your glory that makes the difference. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, into this moment. I pray that your word would become alive in our heart. I pray that you would get me out of the way and communicate, preach through me exactly what you want us to hear and let us receive it with joy and gladness. Let somebody's life be encouraged and given hope. Let somebody receive your love and grace and forgiveness and restoration this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You ready for the word? Amen. I love to give it, so we're in a good spot. John chapter 13. John chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, this is Jesus speaking. Uh, we're going to begin with verse 33. This is uh, the new living on the screen. Jesus says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So Jesus knew his time on earth at this point was very short. As a matter of fact, the very next day. The very next day from when he said this, he would be tortured and crucified. Now, 
we can't imagine going through something like that. There are people on earth right now who go through this, these, these horrible things for their faith. We, in America, it's hard for us to, to fathom going through something like what he went through. But get this, think about it this way. He knew it was coming. For years, can you imagine knowing this horror was coming and not just the nails, not just the, the, the whipping and the beating that he took, but the separation from his father because of the sin that would be placed upon him. Jesus knew it was coming for years and yet he went anyway. He didn't use or leverage his power to escape what was coming but listen, he willingly laid down his life. Nobody took his life. He allowed the Jewish council to arrest him. He allowed the Romans to torture him and crucify him, but he laid his life down. Why? The very next verse tells us, verse 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love. Love, that's why he went to the cross, love. Love each other. Now, pause, look at me. He's talking to his disciples, right? He says, I'm gonna give you a new commandment. This was kind of a big deal because you don't just add to Moses. <laughs> you don't just take that lightly. You understand this has been in place for you know, a, a long time. And he says, I'm gonna add one. <laughs> So don't you think they were sitting on the edge of their seat? And then, you know, he said, love each other. And they kind of went, <laughs> they, you know, can, they were like, they kind of shrugged. What? Because love was not anything new. Loving each other was in the Old Testament. But then he ups it like he always does. And he says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love, listen, for one another will prove to the world that you're a disciple. It will prove it. Now, again, to love, each, to love others, it wasn't new, but he told them to love each other as he had loved them. And he was about to show that. Look at the screen. Love is more than warm feelings. If you're married, you better say amen. amen. If you're not married, you better know this. Love is more than warm feelings. It's an attitude that reveals itself, demonstrates itself in action. They were about to find out just how much Jesus truly loved them. And it reflects a verse that probably, even if you didn't grow up in church, you know this. It's not on the screen, but John 15, 13, Jesus says, there is no greater love than to lay down what? One's life for one's friend. And that kind of love will prove to the world that we are his disciples. Helping when it's not convenient. Being present, being there, being attentive when you really want to be doing something else. Giving to others who are in need when you have needs yourself. Oh, now that will preach. Devoting time and energy to other people 
instead of just yourself. Like Pastor JB said yesterday, I stood arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder with people on this property. And and, and for several hours, we were directing traffic and handing food out to people who were in need. Were we hot? Yes. Were we sweating? Yes. Were our backs hurting? Yes. It didn't matter though, because there was a need and God has called us beyond our comfort zone as a church to minister to this community. And over two hours, the line was all the way back to Walmart because there's great need right now. People came through the line and were like, I've never had to do this before, crying, hurting. We had two or three people run out of gas in the line. And we went and got gas and put it in their car. We had one car that was so old and and beat up and needed service, it overheated. And we had somebody come and work on it. What else does love look like? Absorbing hurt and offense from somebody and not retaliating. I think Jesus said something like, turn the other cheek. Hmm. See, it's this kind of love. It's rare. It's rare. And it's hard. But it's this kind of love that people notice. It's this kind of love that brings people to Christ because it's a Christ-like love. It's this kind of love that restores and builds back broken lives. It's this kind of love that Jesus has shown to you and Jesus has shown to me. And it's this kind of love that Peter is about to experience in this story. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? They were so clueless. I mean, it was just, you know, we, we we're on this side of it. We can see what, we know what happens. They were living it in real time. They didn't understand what was about to happen. Where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. And then Peter, this is great. This is always Peter. But why can't I come now? I'm ready to die for you. Bum, bum, bum. Cape flowing. Right? That's so Peter. Come on, Peter. He knows it all. He's like a, he's like a teen. He knows it all. He knows everything. He, he speaks before he's supposed to. And, and, he, and he's, he just knows it all. He, he sticks his foot in his mouth all the time. But I'm glad Peter was a disciple. How about you? Gives me hope, right? Because I've done that a time or two. In my youth or in my zeal, I've said some stupid stuff that I couldn't follow through with. I'm just glad he was a disciple. I'm glad this is in the Bible Verse 38, Jesus answered, die for me. In our vernacular, that would be like, really? Really? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. That you even know me. See, Peter's statement, I have to believe it was well-intended. Almost everything he did was probably well-intended, but it was not well thought out. And when it comes down to it, him jumping out there, I'm going to die for you. It's quite prideful. Listen to me. Anything we do or say, even if it sounds good and feels right, if it brings attention to us and not Jesus, it's prideful and it's sinful. And Jesus corrected him. 
What's our lesson in this? I've preached it and preached it and preached it and I will continue to preach it. Humility. Humility is the key to everything. It's the key to your marriage. It's the key to the relationship with your children. It's the key to your workplace. It's the, if you're having trouble in your life relationally, you need to understand and apply the principle of godly humility to your life. I'm not talking about becoming a doormat. That's not humility. I'm not talking about no confidence in who you are. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. We need to put it up on the wall. Humility is the key to everything. I'm telling you, and that's what Jesus is trying to get him to understand in this moment. So later that night, Jesus was arrested. We know the story. Garden of Gethsemane, Judas comes, the kiss, all of that identifies him. And he's, he's taken away to the high priest home. They go into this illegal trial in the middle of the night. It wasn't even supposed to happen. They hated him so much, they wanted to do it right then. They hated Jesus. They were afraid of Jesus. And this illegal trial ensues throughout the night. We pick up the story in John chapter 18, verse 25. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again. Now, he had already denied Jesus at this point one time. You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I'm not. Verse 26, but one of the household slaves of the high priest, listen to this, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. This is the dude's cousin of the guy that he had just lopped off the ear, probably on accident, probably trying to kill somebody else. He's just really bad and missed and hit this guy's ear. Kind of, kind of interesting how our sins find us out, right? It's kind of hard to stay incognito when you lop off a man's ear and then his cousin's in the yard with you. And he's like, oh, wait, I saw you. You cut off my cousin's ear. But again, Peter denied it. And immediately a rooster crowed. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us at that moment, he ran off into the night, broke down and wept and wept and wept. I really want you to put yourselves in his shoes. Can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine the disappointment in himself? Can you imagine what he felt? Listen, the next day as he watched his master tortured and crucified and he did nothing. He wouldn't even admit knowing him. He wouldn't stand up for him at all. He would have been at the lowest point of his entire life, right? The lowest point. How many know what I'm talking about? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Rhetorical. The lowest point where hope is so dim and lost. Depression is setting in. The enemy is having a field day. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. You don't feel God. I'll never forget about 2011, somewhere around in there, I was in Mobile, Alabama. 
And I left the lawyer's office after having a meeting with a bankruptcy lawyer about what it would look like if I were to file chapter 13, which is the one where you pay it back. What had happened was I was involved, and I've told this, some of this before, for those of you who have been here, but a lot of you are new. I had been involved. I was in ministry full-time, but I had been involved in real estate, been involved with rental property, had been involved in flipping houses and building houses, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, amen? Except I wasn't called to do it. And I got greedy. I got my eyes on that dollar bill, that mighty dollar. I know I'm the only one in the room that struggled with that. I got sidetracked. And we moved, when the bottom fell out in 07, 08 and all that, we had to leave Tennessee, which is where all the rental properties were. And I didn't get a management company because I couldn't afford it. Went to Mobile. Well, these renters went nuts. They, they ruined the houses and I couldn't afford to, to refurbish them. I couldn't afford to, to, to fix them. And then, because then I couldn't rent them. <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like this hopeless, like, what in the world am I going to do? So I went, and I'm like, what are my options? And, and he, gave, he said, this is what you have to do. Of course, he was, a, he was a bankruptcy lawyer. He was trying to talk me into it. This is what you need to do. And it was going to cost me $1,400 extra a month for the foreseeable future. Well, guess what? I didn't have that. And if I did, that meant everything would have to, I would, we wouldn't have any margin at all for nothing. And I can, I'll never forget leaving that office, driving down this beautiful Spring Hill Avenue in Mobile, Midtown. It's, if you think Savannah, you know, the, the, the beautiful covered uh, streets with the, the trees, beautiful. And inside I was dying. Inside I was hopeless. I was like, what am I going to do? If you live long enough, you're going to have a moment like that. And maybe, maybe much worse than that. Peter's was much worse. But his story wasn't over. And neither is yours. If that's how you feel this morning, like I've been describing, I've been de describing you, your story isn't over. So the crucifixion took place, the resurrection three days later. Jesus reveals himself to the disciples, but, but Peter is still not right. Peter's still living with this shame and this condemnation. So they go back fishing, doing what they, only, what they knew to do. They go back to Galilee and he's fishing and they go out and they fish all night long, but they don't catch anything. And then they see this guy on the shore early in the morning. It's still dark. They couldn't tell who it was. And he yells out, did you catch anything? <laughs> Insult to injury, right? No. Try the other side. Okay, that sounds familiar. Sure enough, they try the other side and get this miraculous catch of fish. John says, it's Jesus. Peter like a Labrador retriever, jumps out of the boat and swims to shore, running up to Jesus, soaking wet like a dog, and then doesn't know what to say. Jesus is like, what's up? 
How about some breakfast? Go get the fish. You know, the guy, you left your crew, you know, they're trying to drag them in. Go get some fish and let's have some breakfast. Verse, or sorry, John 21, 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He had pulled Peter aside. He knew what Peter was going through. He pulled him aside. He said, do you love me more than these guys? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Verse 16, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Verse 17, a third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At this point, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Y'all, there is so much happening in this conversation between the lines. There's so much here. Why did Jesus ask Peter what seems to be the same thing three times? Because Peter denied Jesus three times. It almost seems cruel that Jesus would be, it's almost like he's, he's twisting the knife. He knows he's struggling. It's almost like he's, he's twisting the knife. He's, he's rubbing it in that, you know, three times, but that's not what's happening. I'll tell you what's happening. Restoration is about to take place. Redemption is about to be pulled out of the hands of the enemy right here. He wasn't cruel. He was the most loving thing. See, when we fall into sin, when we fail as believers, it hurts Jesus. It hurts the spirit of God. Why? Because he loves us and he knows the sin has consequences. He knows the sin hurts us just like Peter was hurting. Parents, we know exactly what this means, right? When our kids sin, when our kids go away from the Lord, when our kids rebel against God, it hurts us because we love them, because we know it's hurting them. Now, they won't acknowledge that. They will. They will understand that. But look at the screen. For restoration... To take place, we must first confront our sin. You can't sweep it under the rug. You can't act like it doesn't exist. You can't act like it doesn't happen. You can't act like there's not a problem. There's not an issue. There's not a struggle. You have to confront the sin before you can be restored. Forgiveness, restoration follows confession. Jesus was helping Peter work through, remember we said, the process. It was the most loving thing he could have been doing. And what's so amazing about this exchange is the difference in the words that Jesus uses, the love word. In our English, it's just love. We see love three times, but in the Greek, it changes and the differences are important. In the first exchange, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him more than the others. There was a comparison and he uses the Greek word agape, which is a sacrificial love. Love. The second time Jesus kind of 
focuses on Peter alone and says, do you love me? He uses the same word, agape, again. The third time, Jesus uses the Greek word phileo, which is a deep brotherly or friendship love. That's where Philadelphia, the root word for Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love, that's right. So here's how this relates to us. Here's how his questions relate to us. This is Jesus speaking. Number one, do you love me more than you love the world? Do you love me more than you love the things the world can give you and offers you? Do you love me more? Number two, do you really love me? Or do you just love what I give you? Do you love me, the person of Jesus Christ, or do you love what's in my hand? And third, are you really my friend? Are you really my companion? Are we really going to have a relationship where we talk and commune on a daily basis? And on this one, Peter folded. Because when he used friendship and brother, that's what he felt he would be. He had been with Jesus for three years. They had done everything. He had been together. They had been tight. They had done ministry. They were like brothers. And when Jesus said, are you really my brother? Oh, my Lord. And then his reply, this is so important. Peter says, Lord, you know everything. I think what he's saying is, Lord, you know how badly I failed. You know how loud I spoke up and how boastful I was that I'd die for you. And yet I ran when the rubber hit the road. I I fled. I was afraid. You know how much I've struggled and how much suffering I've been going through since that moment. You know how much pain I've been in. You know everything. But yes, Lord. I do love you. I do love you and I always will. Have you ever felt like that? I have. Come on, you you desperately love Jesus, right? I mean, you really do. But you're so disappointed in your behavior. You're so ashamed at your failure. You can't even imagine why he would want to be with you ever again. Can I tell you, that's exactly why this is in the Bible. Can I tell you that's why John later on got with Peter and was like, what what was that about? And he put it in the book. It's so that we could know beyond a shadow of a doubt there is always a place for restoration. There is always room to be restored that God can redeem our story no matter how far it gets out, no matter how far we end up in the enemy's camp. God can restore us. God can redeem us as long as we're willing to take all of our faults and failures and pain and suffering and lay it at the feet of Jesus. We can be restored. That's why it's in here for you. It's in here for me. Mm, Thank you, Jesus. So Peter is forgiven, but this message and this story is about more than forgiveness. It's about restoration. How was he restored? 
Jesus answered each time with an assignment. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. This is work. This is the work of a pastor, the work of a shepherd. So you've got to hear me. He wasn't just forgiving Peter. He was recommissioning Peter. He was restoring to Peter his leadership and also commissioning him for his future role as the pastor and leader of the New Testament church. Everybody look at me. There is life after failure. Folks, God's in the restoration business. I think about King David. He committed adultery and then conspired to have the husband killed. He abused his power. He abused his authority. But when confronted with it by the prophet Nathan, he confessed his sin. Now there were consequences. And there are always consequences for our sin. But there was restoration. I think about Rahab the prostitute. That's what they called her. How would you like to be tagged with that in the Bible? Everywhere she's Rahab the prostitute. Even in the lineage of Christ, Rahab the prostitute. My Lord, she must have been like, can we change my name? Can we change the title, the tag? I'm not that anymore, my God. But she was used because she helped the spies. She was willing to risk her life to take down the wicked nation or the wicked city of Jericho. And she is mentioned to this day in the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think about Moses. He was a murderer who fled into the wilderness in shame, but God got a hold of him out there in the wilderness. Sometimes that's what it takes in our life, right? How many know what I'm talking about? Getting this away from the city, getting away from the voices, getting away from the noise out in the wilderness where you better learn how to dig for the water or you're going to die. God restored him. God used him to free the children of Israel. I think about Gideon, who spent most of his life hiding from the enemy, the Midianites, until God transformed his life and restored his life and, and, and made him into a mighty warrior and a leader. I think about Saul, the Pharisee. He was called the butcher of Tarsus. He made it his life's passion to search for Christians and put them in prison and have them executed until one day when he was on the way to Damascus looking for more Christians to put in prison. He had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and it changed him forever. And I'm telling you here today, folks, you must have an encounter with Jesus Christ if you want your life to change. Young person, you can't ride on your parents' religion. 45-year-old person, you can't ride on your grandma's religion. You have to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And when you do, your life will never be the same again. God is in the business of restoring lives, but it has to be personal. There's no mistake he can't forgive. There's no past that he can't redeem buyback. There's no life that he can't restore. What he did for all of these that I mentioned, what he did for Peter, he will do for you. 
I want to close with a comparison between Peter and Judas. See, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen that night, right? He even prophesied it to both men. He knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him. How many would agree that's really not much difference? Both sin. Jesus knew it both. But I want you to hear me. He still loved both of these men. In the same way, see, Jesus knows exactly how and when you will fail him the next time. Have you ever thought about that? That's kind of like, I don't want to think about that. I'm not speaking anything over you. I'm just telling you reality. He knows the future. He already knows how you're going to fail the next time. It might be on 285. had to lighten it up just a little bit. He knows. He knows. He knows. And yet he loves you the same. I think it's important we understand that Jesus still loved both of these men. The, now the outcome was very different. The outcome of their lives, Peter and Judas, couldn't have been any more different. One ended in tragedy, the other in triumph. The difference was not, though, how Jesus loved them. The difference was how each man perceived the love of Jesus. Here's the big idea of the sermon. The love of Christ is unconditional. Unconditional. You know what that means? It's not based on my behavior. It's not based on what I do for him or don't do for him. It's not based on my accomplishments or my failures. It's unconditional. Judas could not understand that kind of love. He got so angry when the woman broke open the alabaster jar, the woman who was probably may have been a, had lived a life of prostitution, had been living in sin, broke open the, her whole life savings, broke it all open, a year's salary, broke it open in worship onto the feet of Jesus. He was so angry. It, was, it says it's, it was about money. It wasn't about money. It's because he finally realized Jesus wasn't there to raise an army and destroy Rome. That Jesus was there to take care of sin and to be a savior. He was there for spiritual reasons, not physical. And he was so angry that he had spent three years of his life what he felt was a waste. And he let anger, somebody needs to hear me today. He let anger take root in his heart and it blackened his heart to the point that he allowed Satan himself to enter and do what he did. And, did what he did. and at some point, at some point, he regretted that, right? He took his own life. 
because he could not perceive the love of Jesus. Church, it was the unconditional love of Jesus for you and me that sent him to Calvary, sent him to the cross. And today it remains the unconditional love of Jesus that is powerful enough to forgive my sin and restore my life in service to him. This is the last point. Look at it. Look at the screen. Jesus doesn't want to simply forgive you. He wants to commission you and give you purpose. He didn't go to the cross just to forgive your sins. He went to the cross to give you purpose in life in the kingdom of God. You were not saved to sit on the sidelines and and wait for the by and by. You were saved for a purpose in the kingdom and the kingdom is right now. Right now. Right now. For that to happen, for that to happen, you must have a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you're 12 years old or you're 80, you have to have a personal encounter with Jesus. And as difficult as it may be, you have to confront the struggles. You have to confront the failures. You have to confront the sin and give them to him, lay them at his feet and allow him to restore your life and heal your life. Heal your soul. That's what he wants for you. Would you bow your heads, please? If you were challenged and are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you find us. To experience other messages, videos, and live events, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. And again, thank you for listening to the New Life Church Podcast.